Hey, First Readers, Tim here. You're listening to episode 199 of the First Reading Podcast, which means, wait for it, next week will be our 200th episode, and we'll be bringing you a party episode with all three co-hosts, myself, Rachel, and Rosie, to talk about the Christmas lection, so don't miss out on that. This week, however, we are dipping back into the First Reading Archive to bring you an episode from... Advent 2019, where Rachel walks us through Isaiah 7 from the Society of Biblical Literature Annual Meeting Book Hall in San Diego, California. We hope you enjoy this back episode, and we look forward to having you with us next week for our Big 200. Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers, teachers, and all other lovers of the Bible. I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm Tim McNinch. We are still in San Diego, (laughs) uh, taking in the book exhibit hall. But while we're uh, navigating that, what we have for you here is uh, Advent 4. The passage is Isaiah 7, verses 10 to 16 which is the first reading for December 22nd, 2019. And our very own Rachel Wren has prepared something for us. Yes, so I have prepared, and actually I have prepared um, kind of doubly this time. I I had the chance to do a little bit of work for Working Preacher, and Mm -hmm. um, I got to do a commentary on this week's text and on the Old Testament text for Christmas Eve. So the nice thing about that is if you're a more visual person, we actually have a script for these ones. So mm-hmm. you can head on over to workingpreacher.org on these dates and, and find the written form of that. Um, but since you're here already, why not keep listening? Um, so I'll listen. Okay, well, thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. <laughs> you and the rest of the people in the book hall. So this, uh, this Sunday, which I remember from my preaching days, was always a bit of a preaching burnout. Um, If you're at a church that does midweek services or blue Christmas services, you may have been doing double duty preaching both Sunday and Wednesdays for the past few weeks. Um, And and we're starting to tip towards a story that we preach every single year. It's a fantastic story, the story of of Christmas and of little baby Jesus or whatever Will Ferrell says in Talladega Nights. Yeah. Eight, seven pounds, six ounces, sweet baby Jesus or something like that. I, I think that's it. Yeah. I don't know if I can quote that without royalty, but oh well. <laughs> um, suffice it to say, you may be looking for a new angle. And I think we actually find a new angle on the gospel text for today in this Isaiah passage. Uh, Now, I'll echo what Tim has said in the last few weeks. If you have not listened to the episode with Tyler Mayfield that we did for Advent 1, go back and check out the first 10 minutes of it. It's an excellent discussion on how we preach Isaiah faithfully in the season of Advent. However, today... I'm going to do a little bit closer linking of this particular passage from Isaiah into the today's gospel story of Mary and Joseph. But what I want to say before we get into that is that the lectionary entree into this passage is kind of awkward and confusing. And it actually diminishes the more delicious connections between this first reading and the gospel. Um, so, So preachers, go with me here. They seem incompatible at first. But this Isaiah story of the bumbling, fearful King Ahaz is an invitation to faith, a faith which is a divine gift from God and which moves mountains because it refuses to react out of fear. And if that doesn't have Advent echoes in it, I don't know what else does. 
If you do decide to take this route, I would commend to you Walter Brueggemann's Isaiah Commentary. His passage on this pericope is beautiful, succinct, and offers deep insight into the context of this passage. In addition, he kind of just sat, scatters sermon helps like apple seeds throughout his work. So it's a good work to, to have on your shelf. But with regards to preaching this passage, preachers would do well to take a step back and to include in your reading more of chapter 7. In it, we hear of foreign kings marching to attack Jerusalem in verse 1. Now, it may feel strange to call the king of Israel a foreign king who's attacking Judah, but the relationship between the northern and southern kingdoms was nothing if not fraught, as most relationships between siblings are, and they traded attacks throughout their history. In the face of this military onslaught, the hearts of King Ahaz and his people, we hear in verse 2, shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So... God sends Isaiah to offer reassurance that the looming disaster will not, in fact, come to pass. And he uses words as ancient as Israel and as powerful as Mary's womb. Do not fear. That message comes in verses 3 through 9. But the seed of hope does not take. In verse 10, the beginning verse to our assigned text, God offers Ahaz, King Ahaz, a sign any sign he wants, and Ahaz refuses. Now at first blush, this might sound like a pious and humble king who will not tempt God, but God reads his reaction quite differently. As a slippery character who knew how to hide behind a veil of piety, choosing not to trust in divine power, but slinking away to court the powers of earthly empires in Egypt and Assyria. So God responds, to paraphrase the biblical text, pshaw, in verse 13. So God takes the matter into the divine hands and offers up a sign, unpetitioned, unasked for. Now, a couple of things to know about this sign. In some ways, this is almost a prophetic sign act, which is a call from God to the prophet to do something physical to communicate God's word to the people. It's almost a prophetic sign act because it is not the prophet who's called to act but a young woman. Echoes of Mary, anyone? Now, some translations may read that a virgin is with child. The Latin and the Greek use the word virgin, which is not entirely incorrect, but it's not entirely on point either. The point of the Hebrew word alma is a young woman who is of marriageable and thus childbearing age. The status of her previous sexual life is not of Isaiah's concern. Ultimately, he's just making a point that a kid is about to be born. Lastly, this prophetic sign act, the child to be born, is called God with us. And this is God's way of saying, look, feckless king, if you can't hear my message of reassurance, then maybe you can see it. This child is named God is with you. And I picture the divine teeth clenched here as he says it. And by the time this kid is two years old, which was roughly the agreed-upon age when kids knew good from evil, these two fly kings who are buzzing around your head will be swatted away and in will roll an age of curds and honey. Trust me, God says, cries, proclaims, even shows. Trust me. But as we learn in the next few verses the king could not or would not take up God's invitation to trust. 
and the long-term result of his decision to ignore God's help and court the help of Assyria instead was ultimately the conquering of his kingdom by that very Assyrian empire. Ahaz's reaction of fear instead of action of trust sowed the seeds for his very kingdom's destruction. But God's message through Isaiah did not go unheard. It echoed throughout the centuries until Matthew recorded this same invitation to trust issued to Joseph and accepted. More importantly, this same invitation to trust was issued to Mary when the angel Gabriel came to her in Luke. And there, Gabriel says not only do not be afraid, but he takes and intensifies the Emmanuel promise of Isaiah with the intimate proclamation, greetings favored one, the Lord is with you. Mary and Joseph responded with faith to God's invitation to faith. Moreover, the child born from them was Emmanuel, God with us. And he not only intensified the call to trust, but he embodied trust through an act of self-sacrifice that ultimately saves us all. And that's why I think this is an opportunity to let that Old Testament text lean in to that New Testament gospel text. Absolutely. And, that's, and I, I love the way that you were able to preach the gospel through Isaiah without it being just virgin child, there it is. <laughs> it's fulfilled and now we move on with our lives. But to actually see the, the theological message of this text in Isaiah and how it rings true with the gospel about Jesus I think that's the way to, to preach this. I think so. I think otherwise we just limit that Old Testament text and we change it from a clanging church bell to a tiny little you know, triangle in our hand and we miss those echoes and that reverberation. So. Mm -hmm. One thought that comes to mind, if you preach Isaiah 7 and don't talk about this young woman as being a virgin, you may have congregation members coming mm. to you and saying, wasn't this a prediction of Mary and mm. Jesus here? Mm. And so you, you might want to be armed with a bit of that exegetical uh, rigor to be able to have a response ready for people who have only ever heard this as a prediction mm. of Mary and Jesus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's where you can take the, the little Hebrew lesson that Rachel had for us with Alma as a young woman there. And also the grammar of this line, even though Hebrew grammar is notoriously imprecise. Yet the idea here is that when Isaiah is speaking to the king, he says, look, the young woman is pregnant. As if Ahaz could look and see right there the young woman who is pregnant mm -hmm. and will give birth to a son. And by the time that kid is two, the thing that I'm saying is going to happen will have happened. That will be the sign to you. So, so the, there's a real situatedness of this prophetic word to the king that's right there in the, in the grammar of the way that the line is, is presented. And it's the, it's the power of that sign and the, the theological message of what it says about what God is doing. That's what comes through to Jesus' day and to ours as well which you so, so well put. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I think that's a, that's a great, great insight. 
Well, good work on that. And just one more plug to head over to workingpreacher.org to see Rachel's contribution there in print. But don't get stuck at Working Preacher. (laughs) Come back. And in fact, you know, while you're on the internet doing things, why don't you go over to iTunes and subscribe to First Reading? Oh, it's so convenient. Yeah, and you can visit our website, which will have some sort of beautiful image uh, connected with this. So you can just sort of, you know, make that full screen and just bask in it for a while. It's very convenient of you to think of time-efficient things for people to do while they're on the internet, Tim. Yeah, yeah, good. All right, well, uh, we will be back with you uh, soon with a special Christmas Eve version of First Reading. Until then, I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus. Oh, boy. Here comes Santa Claus.